Babbel.com. Language for life. Why Babbel? When you want to learn a new language, you want to be able to actually use it with real people in the real world. Every part of the Babbel is designed with that goal in mind. Designed by pros. Lessons with realistic scenarios designed by over a hundred linguists. Use what you know. Interactive dialogues that get you speaking confidently. Learn on any device. Compatibility with most devices with lessons that are only 10 to 15 minutes. Remember everything. Reviews that bring back everything you've learned. Number one sound language learning app. Open, download the app today and start learning language for your everyday life from the App Store or Google Play. Choose how you learn. To start with Babbel, choose the plan that works best for you. Babbel app subscriptions. Get unlimited access to hundreds of award-winning lessons designed for all learners based on level and time commitment. Babbel live subscription. You'll have access to live virtual classes taught by top language teachers available at a variety of days, times, and levels, plus access to all Babbel online lessons. People love Babbel. Thousands of five-star reviews. Publications love Babbel. The Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, CNN, Forbes, The New York Times, The Washington Post, U.S. Today, CNET. You can choose from the following language, Spanish, French, German, Italian, Russian, Portuguese, Turkish, Dutch, Swedish, Polish, Norwegian, Indonesian, or Danish. Over 10 million subscriptions sold. Plushcare.com, healthcare that makes you smile. Virtual primary care and mental health treatment when you need it. Get personalized high quality healthcare by Talking to top U.S. medical doctors all from the ease of your smartphone. Care for you and the ones you love most. High quality. Plushcare's highly skilled online doctors are trained at the top 50 U.S. medical schools with an average of 15 years of experience. Plushcare's online doctors give you and your entire family the peace of mind you should expect from your healthcare provider. Convenient. Just book an appointment that Chat via video on your smartphone and pick up your prescription from your pharmacy. PlushCare's advanced technology is integrated with most major insurers, labs, and pharmacies. Affordable. Talking to an online doctor has never been easier and more affordable. For just your copay or $99 per visit, you can get quality care from one of PlushCare's highly skilled online doctors. They are in network with most major insurers in the U.S. and provide care in all 50 states. Over 415,000 patients cared for. Good morning. Sorry it's a little late, but here is U.S. President number 26, Theodore Roosevelt, Part 5. Post-Presidency, Election of 1908. Roosevelt enjoyed being President and was still relatively useful, but felt that a limited number of terms provided a check against dictatorship. Roosevelt ultimately decided to stick to his 1904 pledge not to run for a third term. He personally favored Secretary of State Elihu Root as his successor, but Root's ill health made him an unsuitable candidate. 
New York Governor Charles Evans Hughes loomed as potentially strong candidate and shared Roosevelt's progressivism, but Roosevelt disliked him and considered him to be too independent. Instead, Roosevelt settled on his Secretary of War, William Howard Taft, who had ably served under Presidents Harrison McKinley and Roosevelt in various positions. Roosevelt and Taft had been friends since 1890, and Taft had consistently supported President Roosevelt's policies. Roosevelt was determined to install the successor of his choice and wrote the following to Taft. Dear Will, do you want any action about those federal officials? I will break their necks with the utmost cheerfulness if you say the word. Just weeks, just weeks after, later, he branded as false and malicious. The charge was that he was using the offices at his disposal to favor Taft at the 1908 Republican Convention. Many chanted for four years more of a Roosevelt presidency, but Taft won the nomination after Henry Cabot Lodge made it clear that Roosevelt was not interested in a third term. In the 1908 in the 1908 election, Taft either defeated the Democratic nominee, three-time candidate William Jennings Bryan. Taft promoted a progressivism that stressed the rule of law. He preferred that judges rather than administrators or politicians make the basic decisions about fairness. Taft usually proved to be a less adroit politician than Roosevelt and lacked the energy and personal magnetism along with the publicity devices, the dedicated supporters, and the broad base of public support that made Roosevelt so formidable. When Roosevelt realized that lowering the tariff would risk creating severe tensions inside the Republican Party by pitting producers, manufacturers, and farmers against merchants and consumers, he stopped talking about the issue. Taft ignored the risks and tackled the tariff boldly, encouraging reformers to fight for lower rates, and then cutting deals with conservative leaders that kept overall rates high. The resulting Payne Aldrich tariff of 1909 signed into law early in President Taft's tenure was too high for more, most reformers, and Taft's handling of the tariff ended all sides while the crisis was building inside the party. Roosevelt was touring Africa and Europe to allow Taft to be his own man. Africa and Europe, 1909-1910. In March 1909, shortly after the end of his presidency, Roosevelt left New York for the Smithsonian Roosevelt African Expedition, a safari in East and Central Africa. Roosevelt's party landed in Mombasa, East Africa, now Kenya, and traveled to the Belgian Congo, now Democratic Republic of, of the Congo, before following the Nile to Khartoum in modern Sudan. Financed by Andrew Carnegie and by his own writings, Roosevelt's party hunted for specimens for the Smithsonian Institution and for the American Museum of Natural History in New York. The group, led by hunter-tracker R.J. Cunningham, included scientists from the Smithsonian and was joined from time to time by Frederick Silas, the famous big game hunter and explorer. Participants on the expedition included Kermit Roosevelt, Edgar Alexander Mearns, Edmund Heller, and John Alden Loring. Roosevelt and his companions killed or trapped approximately 11,400 animals from insects and moles to hippopotamus and elephants. The 1,000 large animals included 212 big game animals, including six rare white rhinos, tons of salted animals, and their skins were shipped to Washington. It took years to mount them all, and the Smithsonian shared many duplicate specimens with other museums. Regarding the large number of animals taken, Roosevelt said, I can be condemned only if the existence of the National Museum, the American Museum of Natural History, and all similar zoological institutions 
are to be condemned. He wrote a detailed account of the safari in the book African Game Trails, recounting the excitement of the chase, the people in the, he met, and the flora and fauna he collected in the name of science. After a safari, Roosevelt traveled north to embark on a tour of Europe, stopping first in Europe in Egypt. He commented favorably on British rule of the region, giving his opinion that Egypt was not yet ready for independence. He refused a meeting with the Pope due to a dispute over a group of Methodists active in Rome, but met with Emperor Franz Joseph of Austria-Hungary, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany, King George V of Great Britain, and other European leaders. In Oslo, Norway, Roosevelt delivered a speech calling for limitations on naval armaments and strengthening the, of the permanent court of arbitration and the creation of a league of peace among the world powers. He also delivered the Romans lecture at Romains lecture at Oxford in which he denounced those who sought parallels between the evolution of animal life and the development of society. Though Roosevelt attempted to avoid domestic politics during his time abroad, he met with Gifford Picho, who related his own disappointment with the Taft administration. Picho also had been forced to resign as head of the Forest Service as a clashing with Taft and Terror Secretary Richard Ballinger, who had prioritized development over conservation. Roosevelt returned to the United States in June 1910. Republican Party Schism Roosevelt had attempted to refashion Taft into a second version of himself, but as soon as Taft began to display his individuality, the former president expressed his disenchantment. He was offended on election night when Taft indicated that his success had been possible not just through the efforts of Roosevelt, but also his brother Charlie. Roosevelt was further alienated when Taft, intent on becoming his own man, did not consult him about cabinet appointments. Roosevelt and other progressive progressives were ideologically dissatisfied of Taft's conservation policies and his handling of the terror when he concentrated more power in the hands of conservative party leaders in Congress. Regarding radicalism and liberalism, Roosevelt wrote a British, British friend in 1911, Fundamentally, it is a radical liberal with whom I sympathize. He is at least working toward an, the end for which I think we should all of us strive. And when he adds sanity and moderation to courage and enthusiasm for high ideals, he delves into the kind of statesman whom alone, alone I can wholeheartedly support. Roosevelt urged progressives to take control of the Republican Republican Party at the state and local level to and to avoid splitting the party in a way that would hand the, the presidency to the Democrats in 1912. Additionally, Roosevelt expressed optimism about the Taft administration after meeting with the president in the White House in June 1910. In August 1910, Roosevelt gained national attention with a speech at Osawatomie, Kansas, which was the most radical of his career and marked his public break with Taft and the Conservative Republicans advocating a program of new nationalism, Roosevelt emphasized the priority of labor over capital interests, a need to more effectively control corporate creation and combination, and proposed a ban on corporate political contributions. Returning to New York, Roosevelt began a battle to take control of the state Republican Party from William Barnes Jr., Tom Platt's successor as a state party boss, whom he would later confront in the Barnes versus Roosevelt libel trial. Taft had pledged his support to Roosevelt in his in this endeavor and endeavor and Roosevelt was outraged when Taft's support failed to materialize at the nineteen ten state convention. 
Roosevelt nonetheless campaigned for the Republicans in the 1910 elections, in which the Democrats gained control of the House for the first time since the 1890s. Among the newly elected Democrats was New York State Senator Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who argued that he represented his distant cousin's policies better than his Republican opponent. The Republican progressives interpreted the 1910 defeats as compelling argument for the complete reorganization of the party in 1911, said Robert M. La Follett Sr. of Wisconsin joined with Pincho, William White, and Governor California Governor Hiram Johnson to create the National Progressive Republican League. Their objectives were to defeat the power of political bossism at the state level and to replace Taft at the national level. Despite skepticism of La Follette's new league, Roosevelt expressed general support for progressive principles. Between January and April 1911, Roosevelt wrote a series of articles for the Outlook defending what he called the great movement of our day, the progressive nationalist movement against special privilege and in favor of an honest and efficient political and industrial democracy. With Roosevelt apparently uninterested in running in 1912, while Follett declared his own candidacy in June 1911, Roosevelt continued to criticize Taft after the 1910 elections and the break between the two men became final as the Justice Department filed an antitrust lawsuit against U.S. Steel in September 1911. Roosevelt was humiliated by this suit because he had personally approved of an acquisition that the Justice Department was now challenging. However, Roosevelt was still unwilling to run against Taft in 1912. He instead hoped to run in 1916 against whichever Democrat beat Taft in 1912. Dispute over arbitration treaties. Taft was a major advocate of arbitration as a major reform of the Progressive Era in 1911. Taft and his Secretary of State, Philander C. Knox, negotiated major treaties with Great Britain and with France, providing that difference he arbitrated. Disputes had to be submitted to the Hague Court or other tribunal. These were signed in August 1911, but had to be ratified by a two-thirds vote of the Senate. Neither Taft nor Knox consulted with members of the Senate during the negotiating process. By then, many Republicans were opposed to Taft, and the President felt that lobbying too hard for the treaties might cause a defeat. He made some speeches in support of the treaties in October, but the Senate added amendments Taft could not accept killing the agreements. The arbitration issue opens a window on a bitter philosophical dispute among American progressives. Some led by Taft looked to legal arbitration as the best alternative to warfare. Taft was a constitutional lawyer who later became Chief Justice. He had a deep understanding of the legal issues. Taft's political base was the conservative business community, which largely supported peace movements before 1914. However, his mistake in this case was a failure to mobilize that base. The businessmen believed that economic rivalries were cause of war and that extensive trade, since the trade led to an interdependent world that would make war a very expressive and useless anachronism. However, an opposing faction of progressives led by Roosevelt ridiculed arbitration as a foolhardy idealism and insisted on the realism of warfare as the only solution to serious international disputes. Roosevelt worked with his close friend, Senator Henry Cabot Lodge, to impose those amendments that ruined the goals of the treaties. Lodge thought that treaties impinged too much on senatorial prerogatives. 
Roosevelt, however, was acting to subject Taft's campaign promises. At a deeper level, Roosevelt truly believed that arbitration was a naive solution and the great issues had to be decided by warfare. The Rooseveltian approach incorporated a near mystical faith of the enabling nature of war. It endorsed jingoistic nationalism as opposed to the business calculation of profit and national interest. Election of 1912, Republican primaries and convention. In November 1911, a group of Ohio Republicans endorsed Roosevelt for the party's nomination for president. The endorsers included James R. Garfield and Dan Hanna. This endorsement was made by leaders of President Taft's home state. Roosevelt conspicuously declined to make a statement requested by Garfield that he would flatly refuse a nomination. Soon thereafter, Roosevelt said, I am really sorry for Taft. I am sure he means well, but he means well feebly, feebly and he does not know how. He is utterly unfit for leadership, and this is a time when we need leadership. In January 1912, Roosevelt declared, If the people make a draft of me, I shall not decline to serve. Later that year, Roosevelt spoke before the Constitutional Convention in Ohio, openly identifying as a progressive and endorsing progressive reforms. Even endorsing a popular review of state judicial decisions in reaction to Roosevelt's proposals for popular overall of court decisions, Taft said such extremists are not. Progressives, they are political, extreme emotionalists, or neurotics. Roosevelt began in a vision, began to envision himself as a savior of the Republican Party from defeat into the upcoming presidential election. In February 1912, Roosevelt announced in Boston, "I will accept the nomination for president if it, if it is tended to me. I hope that so far as possible, the people may be given as a ch- the chance through direct primaries to express who shall be the nominee." Elihu Root and Henry Cabot Lodge thought that that division of the party would lead to its defeat in the next election, while Taft believed that he would be defeated either in the Republican primary or the general election. The 1912 primaries represented the first extensive use of the presidential primary, a reform achievement of the progressive movement. The Republican primaries in the South, where party leaders nominated went for Taft, as did results in the New York, Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky, and Massachusetts. Meanwhile, Roosevelt won in Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, South Dakota, California, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. Roosevelt also won Taft's home state of Ohio. These primary elections, while demonstrating Roosevelt's continued popularity with the electorate, were not pivotal. The final credentials of the state delegates at the National Convention were determined by the National Committee, which was controlled by the party leaders headed by the incumbent president. Prior to the 1912 Republican National Convention in Chicago, Roosevelt expressed Doubt about his prospects for a victory, noting that Taft had more delegates in control of the Credentials Committee, his only hope was to convince the party leaders that the nomination of Taft would hand the election to the Democrats, but party leaders were determined not to cede their leadership to Roosevelt. The Credentials Committee awarded almost all contested, contested delegates to Taft, and Taft won the nomination on the first ballot. Black delegates from the South played a key role. They voted heavily for Tap and put him over the top. LaFollette also helped Tap's candidacy. He hoped that a deadlock convention would result in his own nomination and refused to release his delegates to support Roosevelt. The Progressive Bull Moose Party The Right of the People to Rule Once his defeat at the Republican convention appeared probable, Roosevelt announced that he would accept a progressive nomination on a progressive platform, and I shall felt to the end, win or lose. At the same time, Roosevelt pro- pro- prophetically said, my feeling is that the Democrats will probably win if they no- nominate a progressive. 
Polling from the Republican Party, Roosevelt and key allies such as Pinchu and Albert Breveridge created the Progressive Party, structuring it as a permanent organization that would fill the complete tickets at the presidential and state level. It was a popular pop, it was popularly known as the Bull Moose Party. After Roosevelt told reporters, "I am I am as fit as a bull moose," at the 1912 Progressive National Convention, Roosevelt cried out, "West and West and at Armageddon, and we battle for the Lord." California Governor Hiram Johnson was nominated as Roosevelt's running mate. Roosevelt's platform echoed in his 1907-1908 proposals calling for a vigorous government intervention to protect the people from these selfish interests. To destroy this invisible government, to dissolve the unholy alliance between corrupt and business and corrupt politics is the first task of the statementship of the day. This country belongs to the people. Its organizations, its business, its laws, its institutions should be utilized Maintain or altered in whatever manner will be pr- best promote the general interest. This is- assertion is explicit. Mr. Wilson must know that every monopoly in the United States opposes the Progr- Progressive Party. I challenge him to name the monopoly that did support the Progressive Party, whether it's the Sugar Trust, the U.S. Steel Trust, the Harvester Trust, the Standard Oil Trust, the Tobacco Trust, or any other. Ours was the only program to which they objected, and they supported either Mr. Wilson or Mr. Taft. Though many progressive party supporters in the North were supporters of civil rights for blacks, Roosevelt did not give strong support to civil rights and ran a lily-white campaign in the South, rival all white and all black delegations from four southern states arrived at the Progressive National Convention, and Roosevelt decided to seat the all-white delegations. Nevertheless, he won little support outside Mountain Republican strongholds out of nearly 1,100 counties in the South, Roosevelt won two counties in Alabama, one in Arkansas, seven in North Carolina, three in Georgia, 17 in Tennessee, two in Texas, one in Virginia, and none in Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, or South Carolina. Assassination attempt. On October 14, 1912, while campaigning in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Roosevelt was shot by a slim cuban named John Lemang shrank the bullet lodged in his chest after penetrating his steel eyeglass case and passing through the thick 50-page single-folded copy of the speech titled Progressive Cause Greater Than Any Individual, which he was carrying in his jacket. Shrank was immediately disarmed by Czech immigrant Frank Bukowski, captured and might have been lynched had Roosevelt not shouted for Shrank to remain unharmed. Roosevelt assured the crowd he was all right, then ordered police to take charge of Shrank and to make sure no violence was done to him. As an experienced hunter and Anna Thomas, Roosevelt correctly concluded that since he was not coughing blood, the bullet had not reached his lung, and he declined suggestions to go to the hospital immediately. Instead, he delivered his scheduled speech with blood seeping into his shirt. He spoke for 90 minutes before completing his speech, accepting medical attention. He opened he, his opening comments to, to the gathered crowd were, Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, didn't, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, but it takes more than, than that to kill a bull moose. Afterwards, Probes and an X-ray showed that the bullet had lodged into Roosevelt's chest muscle, but did not penetrate the pleura. Doctors concluded it would be less dangerous to leave it in place than to attempt to remove it, and Roosevelt carried the bullet with him for the rest of his life. Election results: After the Democrats nominated Governor Woodrow Wilson of New Jersey, Roosevelt did not expect to win the general election, as Wilson had compiled a record of attractive a record attracted to many progressive Democrats who might have otherwise considered young voting for Roosevelt. 
Roosevelt still campaigned vigorously with the election 2002, a two-person contest between Wilson and and Roosevelt, despite test presence in the race, Roosevelt respected Wilson, but the two offered differed on various issues. Wilson opposed any federal intervention regarding women's suffrage to or child labor. He viewed these as state issues and attacked Roosevelt's tolerance to large business. Roosevelt won 4.1 million votes, 24%, compared to Taft's 3.5 million, 23%. Wilson gained 6.3 million votes, 42% of the total, and amassed a massive landslide in the Electoral College with 435 electoral votes. Roosevelt won 88 electoral votes, while Taft won 8. Pennsylvania was the only eastern state won by Roosevelt. In the Midwest, he carried Michigan, Minnesota, and South Dakota. In the West, California and Washington, Wilson's victory represented the first Democratic presidential election victory since Cleveland's 1892 campaign, and it was the party's best performance in the Electoral College since 1852. Roosevelt, meanwhile, garnered a higher share of the popular vote than any other third-party presidential candidate in history. 1913-1914 South American Exposition a friend of Roosevelt's father, John Augustine Zom, persuaded Roosevelt to participate in an expedition to South Africa to finance the expedition. Roosevelt received support from the American Museum of Natural History in return for promising to bring back many new animal specimens. Roosevelt's popular book through the Brazilian Wilderness describes his expedition into the Brazilian jungle in 1913 as a member of the Roosevelt Rondon Scientific Expedition, co-named after its leader, Brazilian explorer Candido Rondon. Once in South America, a new, a new, far more ambiguous goal was added to find the headwaters of the Rio da Duvida and trace it north to the Madeira and thence to the Amazon River. It was later renamed Roosevelt River in honor of the former president. Roosevelt's crew consisted of his son Kermit, nationalist Colonel Rondon, George G. K. Cherry, sent by the American Museum of Natural History, Brazilian Lieutenant Huayal, Lear Team Physician Dr. Jose Antonio Casazera, and 16 skilled paddlers and porters. The initial experiment started somewhat tenuously. On December 9, 1913, at the height of the rainy season, the trip down the River of Doubt started on February 27, 1914. During the, during the trip down the river, Roosevelt suffered a minor leg wound after he jumped into the river to tried to rent two canoes to smash against the rocks. The flesh wound he received, however, soon gave him tropical fever that resembled the malaria he had contracted while in Cuba 15 years before. Because a bullet lodged his chest from the assassination attempt <coughs> in 1912 was never removed, his health worsened from the infection. This weakened Roosevelt so greatly that six weeks into the adventure he had to be attended to day and night by the expedition's physician and his son Kermit. By then, he could not walk because of the infection in his injured leg and, and an infirmity in the other, which was due to a traffic accident a decade earlier. Roosevelt was riddled with chest pains, fighting a fever that soared to 103 degrees Fahrenheit, 39 degrees Celsius, and at times made him delirious at one point, constantly reciting the first two lines of Samuel Taylor Coleridge poem, Kubla Khan in Zanadu did Kubla Khan a, state a stately pleasure dome decree regarding his conditions as a threat to the survival of the others. Roosevelt insisted he be left behind to allow the poorly provisioned expedition to proceed as rapidly as it could. Preparing to commit suicide with an overdose of morphine, only an appeal by his son persuaded him to continue. Despite Roosevelt's continued decline, law 
and the cloth over of over 50 pounds, 23 kilograms. Colonel Randon, Rondon reduced the pace of the expedition to allow for his commissions spent making another geological task, geographical task, which required regular stuff to fix the expedition position by a sun-based survey. Upon Roosevelt's return to New York, friends and family were startled by his physical appearance and fatigue. Roosevelt wrote, perhaps prophetically, to a friend that, that the trip had cut his life short by 10 years. For the rest of his, his view, Remaining years, he would be plagued by flare-ups of malaria and leg inflammation so severe as to require surgery before Roosevelt had even completed his sea voyage home. Critics raised doubts over his claims to exploring and navigating a complete uncharted river over 625 miles, 1,006 kilometers long. When he had recovered sufficiently, he addressed a standing-room-only convention organized in Washington, D.C. by the National Geographic Society and satisfied defended his claims. Stay tuned for part six of U.S. President number 20, uh, Theodore Roosevelt.